Hey everyone, welcome to Just Mental Health with Steph and M, the podcast where we discuss mental health issues from a social justice lens. I'm Emily. And I'm Stephanie. A quick disclaimer before we get started, we are mental health professionals, but this is not to be taken as professional advice. We are also aware that our privilege may cloud our perspective on some topics, and we not only welcome, but encourage you to message us with criticism and correction. Let's get started. So our business of the week is a friend of mine, Aaron. He has a business on Etsy called AT3D Prints. He sells unique 3D printed gifts that are great for weddings, birthdays, holidays, and any occasion. His two best sellers are the 3D printed picture night lights. So you send him a picture, a photo, and he makes a nightlight out of it. And he also has a 3D picture lantern where you send four photos and he puts it into a lantern. Um, So that's really cool. Um, So you can find his Etsy shop um, on Etsy, obviously, Um, AT3D prints. And uh, I have the website pulled up right now, and they look super cool. So definitely reach out. That's a cute idea. That sounds like that would be really good if, if you want to give someone a very sentimental gift or something. That could be really sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. They're really cute. Um, so reach out to him and take a look at his website if you're interested. And we have another guest. This guest is... Someone I've known for a while. We grew up in the same house. <laughs> She's my sister. Rachel Gableman, PhD. Hey. Hi. <laughs> so, Rachel has a PhD in clinical psychology from Illinois Institute of Technology. And she uh, now is practicing in New Albany, Ohio. And she has a lot of experience working with chronic pain patients as a psychologist. And that is what she's going to talk about with us today. So can you tell us a little bit about the work you've done with chronic pain patients? Sure. Um, So for about two and a half years, I worked at Mary Freebed Rehabilitation Hospital. Uh, This was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, And I worked as part of a uh, chronic pain intensive uh, treatment program that was outpatient. Um, So patients would come to the program, which included uh, seeing a physician or a nurse practitioner, um, a a physical therapist, occupational therapist, and then a psychologist. Uh, So they would for those 10 weeks twice a week to see most of the disciplines uh, and we would spend um, you know a normal session uh, really diving into helping them with their chronic pain um, so it was chronic pain of all different kinds um, you know anything from things like fibromyalgia to injuries um, they had a couple of people who had um, amputations, so chronic pain that was still stemming from that. Um, 
and to want like more chronic related diseases. So somebody with lupus um, and the pain that comes along with that. And um, all kinds of, I mean, most of the people had pretty severe pain or they wouldn't have been uh, coming to this type of program. But some people were functioning, you know, relatively okay. And other people, their lives were basically kind of on hold. Um, and throughout the program, they would work with all of us to learn strategies to help them function better. So the main goal of this program was not to get rid of pain uh, because chronic pain is just bad if it's chronic and it's just not unfortunately gonna go away. Uh, and that was a big part of, of what uh, these patients were learning from all of, all of the disciplines as they went through the program. So that sounds like a, a very, well, not uh, holistic, but like just mm-hmm. um, sort of tackling the issue from every part of the person because you had so many different disciplines um, and working, you know, with, you have the mental health part, um, and then you have the physical part. And so kind of how all of that works together. What was the, just like out of curiosity, what was the success rate of people that, you know, felt that they were able to function better? They were able to have a better quality of life after going through that program. So I don't, I know that the numbers were being crunched. Um, we, there was actually some pretty good data that was that was kept, um, but more like anecdotally speaking, because I don't I don't remember specific numbers. Uh, people tended to do fairly fairly well. So um, you know, once people realized that they could use these strategies that everybody was giving them. Uh, to still live their life, although it might look slightly different than it did before the chronic pain, uh, they, once you could grasp that, then the patients do, you know, they start to live again. So I'd say, again, it's still, you know, more anecdotally, but most people did um, start to function better. Uh, Like I said, they might not have gotten back to what they were doing exactly before, but they were, you know, doing some of their enjoyable activities again, their depression uh, improved, their overall physical fitness improved, their mobility improved. So all of those things, we generally saw a a pretty significant um, change uh, for the better with a lot of our patients. I think an important distinction, which you already said, but I wanna, uh see if you can elaborate a bit on is that you say function better rather than decrease the pain that like and correct me if I'm wrong but these um these patients were typically people that had gone to doctors and tried to find the the fix the problem like fix the physical health issue only to to find that like, you know, like doctors repeatedly told them everything was fine or their treatments didn't work. And now it's like, well, 
you know, maybe we can, I'm, I don't want to speak for it. You can stop me if you want, but like, maybe we, uh, you know, should take the approach of let's see if we can accept this and learn to manage it rather than get rid of it. Is that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, lots of our, of the patients would, you know, they went, they had surgery, they had injections, they were on um, opioid pain medication. Um, they had gone to physical therapist after physical therapist and the chiropractor and massage and all of these things um, to where, you know, the pain was what, and all these appointments and the medications that was kind of controlling their life. Uh, and they just, you know, a lot of them just weren't living the life that they wanted to live anymore because the first thing on their mind was always pain. Uh, and, and once they kind of, like you said, learn to accept that maybe this, it doesn't have to be this way in terms of maybe I don't have to wake up and think about what my pain is going to do to stop me or how it's going to, you know, prevent me from doing this or that. And they realized that they could slowly start to make some changes. Then it became more of, okay, well, what can I do still, even though I have this pain? Um, and, and we would see, you know, obviously as I'm saying this, I'm sure you guys are thinking, oh, well, yeah, there's probably, these people are probably pretty depressed. And um, yeah, I mean, the depression rate was, was very high. And because if you're not doing what you want to do and you feel like things are kind of hopeless, then yeah, you're going to feel pretty, pretty down. So kind of indirectly treating the depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, when we talk about chronic pain, there, there's a lot of times, um, you know, a, a history of abuse, um, trauma and people's background, not always, but, but it is fairly common. Um, we talk about like those, I'm sure you guys know about the, you know, adverse, whatever it's called, childhood. Experiences. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Faces. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we would give that questionnaire. Yeah. And Real quick, just yeah. for our listeners that don't know. So adverse childhood experiences, meaning like a childhood trauma. So there's like a list of like, I don't remember how many, um, but they include things like, um, abuse, parent, incarceration, parent with a mental illness, um, stuff like that. And so there was like a big study where like you, that said like the more ACEs, adverse childhood experience, the higher chances of like all different sorts of um, mental and physical health issues later in life. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so they would, um, you know, complete that questionnaire along with a bunch of others. And, you know, it, it, it just goes to show that pain, although, you know, we don't think about it exactly maybe as it was thought of many years ago where it was like more of a somatic disorder of you can't express how you're feeling. And so it's kind of being, uh, we're seeing it as pain or some other physical form. Um, those, that stress and that impact on the brain uh, in terms of kind of like increasing uh, the brain's susceptibility to experiencing uh, more 
more problems, uh, I guess you could say, then that kind of leads to the likely, increased likelihood of chronic pain. Um, and so we're kind of dealing with that along with depression uh, and whatever else kind of comes along when somebody's having to struggle with um, this chronic illness for so many years. Yeah, and I, I imagine there's also probably a lot of suicidal ideation involved that you're always having to assess for and, and monitor and watch in people mm -hmm. that have chronic pain and then have had it for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, it kind of, I mean, the, the severe, I mean, again, I don't, I don't know the research on this specifically, but the severity of the chronic pain, you know, if somebody obviously has it, it's really severe. And in that moment, it just feels like there's no other answer. Um, and we're talking like, you know, if we're talking about the pain scale, people are staying there at like a 10 out of 10 on that scale pretty consistently. And then you think, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm sitting there wondering what that's like. And, and I'm very thankful I don't know what that is like. Um, and I can only imagine just how, um, how horrible that would be to be in that much pain day after day. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I was really looking forward to having you on because I've recently been seeing some more clients with chronic pain in my, uh, in where I'm practicing now. And one of the things that I really struggle with um, with them is just, you know, it's like, I, there's no good answers. There's mm -hmm. not really anything that I can do or say to reassure them because it, it is that sort of, you just have to accept that this is the way life is now for you. And that's hard to do. It, it's, I mean, of course it's hard for them. It's hard as the clinician to watch your client be in pain and not be able to do anything about it. And, you know, um, you know, of course, like CBT is used. Um, and then I think acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, and then, so like, what are some other interventions that you would use with clients um, in the therapy session to help with them managing their pain? Or if you want to, because acceptance commitment therapy is the ma mainly the one you use. Right, right. So if you want to elaborate on that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, you're absolutely right that it's hard for, for us too, as, as the clinician to sit there and, and have to you know, try to explain that your pain, this person's pain is never going away. Because a lot of times people might come in and they don't, it's, they're not really grasping that, that even though, you know, in their evaluation, uh, you know, the physician had gone over you know, what our pro what the program is and that we're not trying to get rid of pain. And that just doesn't make any sense to anybody really um, until you kind of start to explore it a little more and explore that, that acceptance piece of it. Um, so yes, yeah, so acceptance and commitment therapy act uh, was what we, almost all of the psychologists used 
for the most part. Um, we kind of would start off doing some general strategy kind of stuff. So, you know, although it's not really exactly part of ACT, we would do a lot of relaxation training. Um, and that goes beyond just trying to, you know, relax for the sake of anxiety and, and um, you know, just managing, you know, any kind of emotional symptoms. But because if we're thinking about chronic pain, then we're thinking about somebody whose muscles are really tense. And if we're able to relax our muscles by using relaxation strategies, then that's going to be beneficial, especially if somebody's in um, like a flare up or, you know, is having a few minutes of just extreme pain that they can't really get out of. Um, then we did some mindfulness training, which goes along right along with ACT. Um, there's a lot of mindfulness that can be used specifically for kind of chronic pain. So you might say you might notice your pain, um, in some area of your body. Well, can you think about a different physical sensation? So rather than which most of us are go-to would be to just it and think about that pain over and over again, that's just making it worse because we're focusing on it. And so can we think about, you know, how it feels to sit in the chair or I'm hungry, or maybe I have a lesser pain somewhere else. And then, you know, bringing in, um, moving on to more general mindfulness, but that's kind of how the, the pain would, uh, mindfulness of pain might. So it's like, well, mm -hmm. So it's not like ignore the pain and focus on something else. It's like, okay, the pain is there and also notice these other, like, is that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, distraction, what you were like, the first thing you said was more like distraction and they can work, but you know, our mind always will go back to the problem. And so if we're able to kind of allow it to be there uh, and kind of let it, you know, hang out, so to speak, um, then we can do something else, even though we're experiencing this pain, or we can, um, we can still kind of going back to the idea, we can accept this pain and still live our life. And that's kind of, I mean, that's the basis of act itself not and we're just inserting pain and you could you know obviously you can do say the same thing with depression or anxiety or whatever the issue is so that was the the main strategies of kind of how can we get through to this this patient that you can still have the, live this life so it was a lot of like what is important to you what do you value what do you want your life to look like and how can we make that happen? And sometimes people could still do a lot of the things they used to do. It just meant that they were going to experience pain while doing it. And so we have to also talk about, well, how do we, you know, we, we don't want to cause a flare up, right? So we don't want to say, well, yeah, this person really likes to, um, I don't know, paint and but standing at their easel is just really painful after doing it for hours so can we do it for 15 minutes and take a five minute break and keep doing that pattern 
Um, so pacing, essentially. Uh, so a lot of, there was a lot of like problem solving and brainstorming of what things might look like if the person could still do this or that and how can we kind of figure out how to make that happen. Sort of like adapting, mm-hmm. you know, how yeah. can you adapt your life to right. the way it is now instead mm-hmm. of the way it was before. And mm-hmm. this is, you know, yeah, you have to, you have to work with what you have. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a real interesting, and I, I feel like that's a newer sort of the acceptance and like living with any chronic illness, whether it's physical or mental or with any sort of um, disability or anything like about living with it and not, you know, living in spite of it, but just living, having Mm -hmm. your life Mm -hmm. where like before, like years ago, (laughs) years and years ago, mental health and psychology and everything was really focused on like curing someone and fixing the problem. More of the medical model, like, well, we're going to find the problem. We're going to fix it. And so what I've noticed, even with the patients that have chronic pain, but also the patients that have like PTSD um, or they have, you know, chronic depression and, or bipolar disorder or something like that, that is never going away. It's there. They're always going to be experiencing it. Having to explain to them that I know you came here because you wanted a cure. um, And that's not how this works there's no cure. You can, your symptoms can get better. You can feel better. You can live with this better than how it is now, but it's always going to be there, um, in some way. And, you know, some, some people are really, um, disappointed and heartbroken by that because they do think that therapy is, um, a treatment that you go to, and we fix you or we cure you. And that's not, that's not how most illness or mental illness, especially is. It's not a, there's not really a cure yet, (laughs) hopefully one day, but, um, so I'm sure, you know, you had a lot of those conversations with clients of explaining, like, and like you had said, they, they heard it from the doctor, but it may not have really sat in, or they may not have understood and then they meet with you and you have to kind of explain it again that I, I cannot, can't fix you. You know, I can't cure the problem. Um, the problem will still be there. You just can be better. You know, you can do better, um, whatever that is, whatever you want it to be. Uh, but the problem, the issue, you know, is still there. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I was going to say, so there's probably a lot of also grief work that you do um, or that you did when you were working with clients of sort of that, you know, that hope that they had that it, they were going to get better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it, it was almost like they knew they had whatever this chronic pain is. And even though it, it kind of made sense to them that it, it wasn't going to, to get better, or there wasn't some quick, quick answer, it still 
it's still really hard to process and you know you can be told it over and over again but until you really explore what that means and looks like and um yeah like what what the loss is what you won't be able to do um then there's no really moving forward I would say so until you're able to kind of wrap your head around or, or even just start to kind of wrap your head around the fact that maybe you're not going to be able to, you know, go skiing again or something like that, then, you know, then you can start to think, okay, well, what could I do that's, um, you know, still a winter type of sport or, you know, to have that same, a similar feeling or get some joy in a similar, similar way. Um, and it would take many sessions of having that conversation. And I would always uh, try to try to say when I when I first brought it would bring it up, I would mention, you know, I don't expect you to get from like if no no acceptance is, you know, completely unaccepting is on one end of the spectrum and you know, fully accepting is on the other. Well, I never expect you to get to fully accepting. That just doesn't make sense. But we want to kind of shoot for a middle. And I don't expect you to even be at that middle, you know, in the next five weeks or, you know, whatever timeline I was, I used for that particular patient. But can, we can slowly just start to inch our way forward and kind of plant, um, you know, I'm trying to plant some seeds so that you can leave here today and just start to think about it a little bit. Yeah, definitely. The, yeah, planting seeds of like, the hope is going to look different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that the grief is not because hope is gone. Um, but it's just now it's going to look different and your hope is going to be different. And um, you will still have, you know, this chronic pain, but your life's not doesn't have to be over. Right. And that does take like you said, that, that is a process of, I can't even imagine what that process would be like. Thankfully, I've never had to go through that. And so when I see clients going through that, I also sometimes feel like, you know, are they, am I saying these things? And they're like, what do you know? You know, like, <laughs> you don't know what I'm feeling. And um, I guess that could happen with anybody experiencing any problem. They're probably like, well, what do you know? You've never had a manic episode how do you know what it feels like I don't you know but um yeah that that would be that's a lot of work for them it's a lot of work for you as the the clinician helping them through yeah that. yeah and it would feel kind of I don't know like you're going in circles I guess sometimes with the patients and just kind of like I mean some patients would just they get angry. Um, and so you have to kind of, you know, tread carefully, uh, not, not move too quickly. Some patients were like, you know what? Yeah, that makes so much sense. Okay, let's go. <laughs> like, let's figure out what things are going to look like. Um, and others, it was more like, we're going to have to talk about this for quite a while. And some just didn't ever really get there which was you know that's really hard 
because um, as, as you know, you guys too, as as therapists, as clinicians, we we I mean that's what we're doing. That's why we're doing this. And so to to be, have to you know see people still experience that um, you know emotional pain that goes along with that physical pain is just really hard. So yeah, sounds like a very just validating approach like very like meeting them where they are and like really um like really validating their experience because everyone I would imagine everyone they encounter before you whether that be family friends or other health professionals like a doctor is going to be like, okay, let's see if we can fix the problem. Their family is going to be like, have you tried this? Have you tried this? You know, it's like, which can maybe feel helpful sometimes, but it also feels like, no, I tried that already. Or I've been to a million doctors. That's not going to help. Or like, or it can feel like, you know, you're not actually listening to me. You're not actually understanding what I'm experiencing. And you being that person for them, that's like, you know, I don't, I know, I don't know from experience, but I can empathize with you that this really sucks for you. And, and, you know, having to accept that it may be something you always live with is extremely, an extremely painful process. And like being there with them, like holding that space for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it, it definitely was a lot of, of that validation. And I think, I think for all of us um, in the program, I mean, all of the, the physical therapists and the occupational therapists and even, and the physicians too, they were, you know, they were great um, because we, we all approach things kind of, I think Stephanie, like you had mentioned earlier from like more of a, like a holistic, like a whole body approach. And so, they weren't, no one was there saying like, you don't have this pain or it's all in your head or have you tried this or that, or here's more medication. Um, that, that was absolutely not part of the program. And I think it was um, kind of refreshing for, mm. and refreshing, it was extremely helpful and validating for for these patients who had, like you were saying, gone to, you know, a million doctors and just been told that, you know, you need this surgery or that surgery, or, you know, try this or that, um, and gone to physical therapists who just didn't really help them. And, uh, not that, you know, there's anything wrong with other physical therapists, but the physical therapists who work with, chronic pain are trained to work with chronic pain, which is very different than working with somebody who has an injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, like you might get those professionals that are like, let's fix the problem. And then, like you said, you get other ones that are like, it's all in your head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the research is that women, particularly women of color are, um, you know, told that a lot. Um, and that can feel extremely just 
you know, it's extremely frustrating to like be experiencing this very real pain and to be told like it's all in your head. Um, so that, you know, that makes sense. From the people that are supposed to help you. But yeah. You know, like that you went to them because you're like, you're the doctor, you, you know, you're the medical professional. Um, who else would I be, you know, go to about this? And then they're like, it's not, it can't be a 10 out of a 10. You'd be passed out. I've heard people say that, like mm-hmm. their pain cannot be a 10 out of a 10. They, they would have passed out. And I'm like, I don't think that's how that works because <laughs> I'm pretty sure when you lit, when you experience a lot of pain over long periods of time, your pain threshold, you know, mm-hmm. increases and you get used to functioning and some level, even if it's just like you were able to get out of bed that day and your pain is a 10 out of 10, where like for me, I have a very low pain threshold. There's no way I, I, I would have, I would be present for anything if it was that. But after years and years of chronic pain every day and it, and it being the worst, yeah, you get to the point where you can have a conversation with your doctor and experience 10 out of 10 pain. Um, and so sometimes that's, I've heard professionals use that as a way to discredit someone's experience of how much pain, well, you're not in that much pain because you're sitting here in front of me and we're having a conversation and, and, you know, you, you don't look like you're in pain, um, or you don't sound like you're in pain and like, well, you know, I don't know, people are really good at coping and masking and, and living with things. That's what we do. We cope. So right. there's no, like, like, what does that even mean? You don't look like you're in pain. Like you can't see, you can't see pain on a person. I mean, just cause maybe they're not like grimacing in pain 24 seven doesn't mean they're not actually in pain 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, yeah. Those kinds of things would definitely come up and people would say, yeah, no one, you know, knows what I'm experiencing. I mean, just like a lot of times more mental health type of issues um whereas you know the person is in the wheelchair or you know the person who I don't know like has a cast or a broken arm that's very obvious that somebody is experiencing this physical issue uh but the person with chronic pain and with you know a lot of um of the chronic illnesses like like autoimmune types of things, people don't know, like you can't tell from looking at somebody necessarily that they are struggling, but that doesn't mean that the struggle isn't very real. Uh, Yeah, that was something that would come up, come up a lot and kind of, I guess, going off of that, a lot of times people would come in and they'd say, oh, in the waiting room, you know, I saw uh, this person who, was in a wheelchair and, and had a amputation or um, you know this or that because in the Mary Freebed waiting room there were all kinds of people who needed rehabilitation um, and so a lot of times people would feel that you know my patients would say oh well, you know I shouldn't be feeling this way look at that person who has it worse or uh, things like that and it had to go back to me kind of validating their experience that yeah I mean maybe the person in the waiting room is struggling but so are you uh and not to minimize 
their experience just because it wasn't quite as um, apparent as the mm-hmm. next person. Yeah, right. that, well, other people have it worse kind of. And you hear that a lot with so all mental illness and trauma too. I'm like, well, this person had it worse. And so I don't have anything to complain about. It's like, it's, there's not, you know, there's not a limit, uh, a limited amount of empathy that, you know, <laughs> that can be given out. Like yeah. what you went through is, is difficult and it, you don't have to compare it to anybody else. What you experience is hurtful and um it affects you every day and you don't have to compare it to anybody else's life mm-hmm. what i tell my clients is if you fall and scrape your knee your knee is going to bleed and it's going to hurt but then if your friend falls and scrapes both their knees is your knee suddenly healed like your knee still hurts just as much <laughs> like just because they have two knees and and you don't even know like maybe your knee maybe you have like something like maybe you fell harder or maybe what you fell on like was like a harder, like maybe they fell on carpet and you fell on concrete or maybe you have some sort of like condition in your knee that made it like, you know, you don't even really know. But so even if it appears like they have it, first of all, even if they do have it worse, that doesn't matter because it, your pain is still there. And second of all, you don't even know if they even have it worse. Um, so, um, so helping them to accept that the pain will always be there is one of the goals. Would you say that, that, you know, helping them see that it's going to be there to an extent, but did you still find that it decreased over time? That's an excellent question. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, most people, um, so you know, we, like I said, we had lots of questionnaires that we gave went at the intake and then they would do the same questionnaires uh, near the end of the program. Um, and most people's pain uh, did decrease, not a ton, but you know, a, a one or two um, like numbers on the pain scale typically. Um, and even if it didn't, people would still say that, you know, it it wasn't really interfering in the way that it was before. So they could still do things, um, despite the pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, you know, part of that is if you're, you know, doing physical therapy and learning to, um, you know, with occupational therapy, learning to do things in different ways um, that are going to be more or less painful, more helpful, uh, that's going to be good for you. So, you know, there were some of those more physical things that I think really help people. You know, we know if we, if we move um, and strengthen areas of the body, then that's actually more helpful than if we're just sitting all day and not doing anything, even if you do have chronic pain, especially if you have chronic pain. Um, And then, you know, from from the psychologist's point of view, uh, trying to kind of help people see that they can still do those enjoyable activities. And when they 
do those enjoyable activities, you know, endorphins are released and that's a, its own kind of pain fighter. Um, so in that way, it kind of, that's kind of how we would, one way we would help people uh, improve their pain, I guess you could say, kind of, I would always say we're kind of like coming around like the back, in the back door. So we're not going to address the pain specifically, but how can we address it uh, in these other ways that end up helping it in the long run? Yeah. So helping them live the life they want to live with the pain and then sometimes as a result the pain would decrease Mm -hmm. along with that right right Mm -hmm. cool it's interesting you know the the way that that practice sort of you know did everything with um like like treating the whole person and and, and, you know, there's a lot of different pain clinics out there and treating pain, especially treating chronic pain is a, a big industry now. I mean, that it's, we know from how things went with, you know, the opioid epidemic that obviously there is a problem of people that have chronic pain that need it to, it to be treated. Um, or if they didn't have chronic pain, they do now because of abuse of opioids that were prescribed to them by, you know, their physician. Um, but that like the different ways to kind of tackle that and treat that it's, it's just interesting to see, you know, there's places like where you worked that are, you know, managing the whole person. And then there's pain clinics that are really just, you go and get a prescription mm-hmm. um, or they refer you for surgery. And like, like those are the only two things that could be done. It's surgery or pain medication for the rest of your life. And I think a lot of people are told that because that's all that's available to them. And so then they think, yep, that those are my only options. I have to sort of pick between two, two things that aren't, that aren't that great, that can have a lot of long-term complications. Maybe surgery is the only option for some people, but, you know, I'm sure there's other things that they could try, um, that isn't so invasive and, you know, and then has so many complications attached to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think people just, don't really know. Uh, and I think, you know, I think the medical um, doctors don't really know necessarily either. So like you go to your primary care doctor and they just aren't aware that things like other, that there are these other approaches. And sadly there, you know, I, I don't know of that many places who use these kind of approaches. So it's just not really that an option. Go tos are typically like, okay, well, how can we make this, like we've been saying, make this better, go away, or yeah, improve the pain in, in some sense. Uh, and it just doesn't really work that way, or it works for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and then it, you were back to where you started because 
you have to keep taking more and more opioids because you build up a tolerance and all of that. Um, or you're stuck because you're having to use the same method on a daily basis and it's interfering in other ways. So like you're mm-hmm. constantly having to go to the chiropractor to get an adjustment and well, that's really expensive. And mm-hmm. now it's kind of, you live your life by when you go to the chiropractor kind of thing. And it just is yeah. not a way to live. And even like, you know, if you're, you've seen multiple medical professionals and they're not all in the same place. So that is maybe mm-hmm. two or three appointments or more a week that you have to go to. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we, we know from working in collaboration with other medical professionals that they don't always communicate things. And sometimes it's hard to get information from someone's doctor. So they don't communicate with each other either, you know, unless it's specifically requested or they've referred it. Um, and so then I think there's a lot that's also missed in that when you're not looking at how do all of these different pieces fit together um, to affect someone and and you're all treating a different issue a different specific part of that person instead of all treating that person right yeah yeah definitely I mean I don't know I don't think it would have worked very well at all for me to to even have seen somebody, these people outside of, you know, physical therapy and occupational therapy and, and the medical practice, because I didn't always know what they could and couldn't do, like what was safe and what wasn't. Um, And so you're kind of left like, well, what do I do in this situation? Should I say, yeah, you should really go and try to go for your, that walk when, um, you know, I, I don't know, it's not my area or, you know, am I dealing with somebody who's kind of fearful of pain and hurting themselves and does that make sense? Uh, or is it more of a anxiety mm-hmm. that we need to work on? And so being able to check in with, um, the other, for other professionals, the other disciplines was a huge, huge part of, um, of, of making things work for the person and and helping them yeah that's uh, that's awesome and I I hope that that is the direction that we are going in with everything that mental health uh you know physical therapies uh medic the medical model everything is going to be working together more and sort of be um all in all in one place, just a little bit easier for people. Um, because that's really, we know that that's the best way is to treat the whole person. It's, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, they have depression because they're in chronic pain. So, you know, well, if you just treat the depression and you don't validate the pain that they're experiencing, you're treating it, you're treating a mental illness. That's not a mental illness. It's a normal reaction to their circumstances. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if you're treating chronic pain, but you're not paying attention to their mental health and the state that they're in, they may not be able to do the things that you are recommending them to do and follow through with the 
you know, interventions or the stuff they have to do because they are depressed and they can't get out of bed and they don't feel like there's any hope. And so it all, all of those systems work together. And um, I hope that, you know, we start moving in that direction for everything, not just for chronic pain, but for any, Mm -hmm. any diagnosis that someone may have that needs to be treated. There's just such a lack of that in all of the collaboration between different professionals and, you know, like the, the overlap of mental health and physical health and, you know, all the different parts of health is maybe a more like modern idea. I don't know, but like, it's all the same. Like mental health is physical health and physical health is mental health. Like they're, it's not, they're not two different things. Um, so yeah, I mean, that is really great to hear that it was a team that a a team of helping professionals that you worked with and that everyone was trained for the same thing and that you always knew what was going on with their treatment with, with these other people, um, so that you could treat, you could treat them more effectively. Mm -hmm. And so not to, not to put you on the spot, but, um, because, you know, we're, we're talking about this and people listening, not everyone may have access to get that, the kind of care that they need in that way. Um, their only options may be opioids or surgery or something like that, just because of where they live or, um, their access to healthcare. But what are some, some things that they could do or some resources maybe that people could access if they want to kind of start learning about this sort of, you know, perspective on treating their, um, their pain in a, in in a non-invasive way, Um, maybe just to kind of get it going. If, if, if you have any off the top of your head, I know I put you on the spot for that, but um. There is, so one of my um, co-workers actually wrote a book. Um, and I'm forgetting the exact name of the book, but his name is Evan Parks. Um, and it, it's like pain rehabilitation is the main name. And then it has kind of like a subtitle. Um, and he wrote this book for just that purpose to uh, reach people who have this idea of wanting to, you know, fix the pain and get rid of it and thinking about if there are other options, other ways. And um, he uses three um, kind of three different characters, so to speak, three different people. Uh, and they're based on patients, um, not exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, you know, it's all there's no actual people's names or anything like that, but he kind of shows how um, these people kind of moved through their um, learning about act and so on and so forth to make them um, to learn to live with their pain. Uh, so I think that is a great resource, and I fully, you know, trust him and, and know that that is very accurate information um, or strategies that that people would be um, learning. And we could um, we could get the book title from you and we can yeah. post that on the Instagram yeah, for yeah. people listening that want to 
want to find that and I'm going to get that because that sounds interesting yeah 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 we can post the book and we could we can just post um information about this program at Mary Freebed Hospital mm -hmm. on the Instagram yeah 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 um I would say uh, Russ Harris has and you people or you guys might have heard of these books but he has um some books that aren't specific to chronic pain but they're more about acts so like the happiness trap um yeah. so those are going to kind of set one up to begin accepting whatever mm -hmm. that issue is that they're struggling with um beyond that uh, i don't know what exactly else is out there um but anything, uh, you know, that's act-based is going to set you up for kind of this, this model that we've been talking about. Yeah, and that's um, something to reiterate is that for anyone listening that just has, that act is not, is not just for chronic pain, that mm -hmm. you can use it to treat any anything that you're dealing with on a ongoing basis that, um, you know, learning to, to manage the issue and, um, still live the life you want to live with that, you know, with, while making accommodations for whatever the issue is, um, act can be beneficial. And there's, um, there's therapists that, you know, act acceptance commitment therapy. So you can, you know, if you're looking for a therapist and you're interested in mm -hmm. receiving that type of therapy, you can ask if they have training in it, or if you are a therapist and you're interested in getting trained in it, you know, um, reading the books that Rachel mentioned or finding trainings and, you know, there's lots of resources out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I think those are good. Those, especially those two books are, you know, that's something that almost anyone can access, you know, um, they can get it online or something and, or listen to the audiobook or, and those are not the, I, I don't, I don't like self-help books, but these are like actual books that you can use to help yourself. They're not mm -hmm. like the, you know, I'm trying to sell you something. They're, evidence-based and everything um so that those are really good resources and like I said we'll have those um linked on the Instagram um as well as information about the um the program that you worked at and um and and maybe some we can also put some information about acceptance and commitment therapy as well on the Instagram just so when pe people are listening to this they they can get um, those resources, but thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Um, this was, this was really, um, educational, like for me, you know, as a therapist to kind of understand how all that works. And I hope that the people that were listening, um, if anyone is struggling with anything that's, that's chronic mental illness, a physical illness, pain, um, that hopefully this gives you some direction and knowing that, that there's a way to live your life with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for 
being here. I think this was, uh, I think this, this topic is a really new topic. A lot of people haven't heard of, of this sort of approach. So I think people are going to find it. Really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. That's our show. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with friends and family. And don't forget to follow the show's Instagram for updates on new episodes at Just Mental Health Podcast. That is with a period between each word. We record a new episode every week. This is Steph. And M. And Rachel. Signing off. Thanks for listening. <laughs>